Did you guys hear that? <laughs> no. No. Okay, so the Siri on my computer just came up because I said something. And she said, it's okay, frick, frack, diddly, whack. Because at some point, my daughter changed my name and my contacts to Frick Frack Diddly Whack, and I have yet to figure out how to turn it off. So, That's so yeah. good. It's great. That is so good. And it's going to hit you at just the wrong time as well. Oh. Like, it, you're going to accidentally set it off, and then in a shop or something, it's going to be, <laughs> it's going to like loudly declare. God, that's really good. Oh my gosh. Okay. This is it. This is a new podcast crew. I mean, in some ways it's it's also an old podcast crew cuz Sarah is back. Are you calling me old? No. Came on as as a guest, but now you're a proper host. I'm so excited. I can't even tell you. It's just, yeah. Woo! Yay me. I did. I made the big time. And I love that one password is doing so well that you have a, a complete brand new home studio, right? <laughs> that was the plan. As people may remember, we've actually had this company now since 2005, and I have never actually had a proper office. So I decided in the fall that I was going to have a proper office once and for all. And I'm still in the process of creating a proper office and didn't get any of the soundproofing or anything up in time for today. So I'm currently holed up in a closet surrounded by couch cushions. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to see we stretched to that. That was That's good. Sarah, uh, as the company has grown so much, are your responsibilities like scaling way back these days? Because like... Last time we talked, you were doing, you're still handwriting payroll yourself. That It's been a hot minute since you've done that. Well, technology has also changed. <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of one of those things. Like if you have kids, it's sort of similar. You know, you have this new baby and you're like, oh my God, is it ever going to get any easier? And then they're toddlers and you're like, well, this isn't any easier. It's certainly different. My responsibilities at 1Password on the day-to-day -day sort of functions has definitely decreased. We've got a huge team of amazing people that are handling so much now, which is so nice. But then I get a whole bunch of other great opportunities that tend to pop up. And I'm like, I have time to like stick my nose into things that I probably shouldn't be. And then I get to go on podcasts now and do fun stuff with you guys. So it's definitely different, but it's still busy. That's, that's, so that's sort of what I was driving at is that now when people are like, oh, one password, what do you do? You can be like, well, I'm a founder and also podcast host. And it's just it like sums everything up very tidily into, into one little package for you you know exactly exactly or if you want to get real feedback about the podcast you should just tell them you're a podcast host if you want to get that real feedback you don't you don't say founder first nice <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right should we drop I, I actually nearly said it should we what matt i, I actually nearly said drump I don't know why. I don't either. Why can I not pronounce my J's? What is that word? <laughs> what what word are you trying to say? He's trying to jump into some Watchtower Weekly. I'm trying to jump into some Watchtower jump. Weekly. But then he also tries to drop into it, and it comes out as drump. Huh. <laughs> Instead, I murdered the English tongue. Shall we drop into some Watchtower Weekly? I think we should. Chat GPT could be used as by bad actors and should be regulated... This is from OpenAI's Chief Technology Officer. Before we start this, has anybody used ChatGDP, GPT, I'm going to say it every time, for anything? Not yet. Oh, you are missing out. No, I see other people using it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah? And my son, Jack, actually introduced me to this. Uh, he's in grade nine, and he finds all the coolest shit. So he was like, check this out, mom. And he was like writing little essays about this, little essays about that. He was like, I could use it to do my schoolwork. And I'm like... I don't know if this is brilliant or if this is like not good because it was one of those like it's like an ethical thing, right? Like if you're using chat GPT to write your essays, 
you've figured out how to get the education system what they want, and you've got the knowledge, you've figured it out, you've accomplished the goal they've set out. If you're doing it and you're not actually learning, like you're not actually learning, but like who really needs to know longitude and latitude anymore? Does anyone need that? But we still teach it. So he has shown me the way. It's it's kind of fun. The nice part was, though, that he was very patient in trying to teach his mother how to learn these things. And I was doing the old, oh, I wonder what happens if you do this to try and guide him down the educational path. And we like had it write an essay on me and it was completely like not correct. I like had an MBA from some college in Nebraska and I'm like, so I guess we can see why this doesn't always work and we need to really verify what ChatGPT tells us. And he was like, yeah, that's not good at all. And I'm like, all right, crisis averted. That's great. I like using it for writing poetry. Nice. Or limericks. I had it write a dirty limerick about a sofa and it was just so good. Do you have it? I, uh, no, not, not with the ability to read it out. Oh, man. <laughs> I feel like that should be an Easter egg bonus thing somewhere. Maybe. Yeah. Read out in a very straight laced accent as well. Click in the show notes for Matt's dirty limerick. <laughs> so the chief technology officer at Chat GPT, the creator of that being OpenAI, has said that the AI tool should be regulated as it could be used by bad actors. The chatbot's popularity means that it's not too early to regulate this. And that was from Time magazine. And also in that interview with Time magazine, the company didn't expect its child would be met with such enthusiasm when it was released. So ChatGPT may make up facts in common with other tools powered by AI based on a language model. But its popularity sparked questions over some ethical concerns, such as tools that can be misused or the fact that it can be used by bad actors, sparking questions about how to govern it globally. The person that they were interviewing said, how do you govern the use of AI in a way that's aligned with human values? In January, ChatGPT CEO Sam Altman said during an interview that generative text is something we all need to adapt to. We adapted to calculators and changed what we tested for in a maths class. I imagine this is a more extreme version of that, no doubt, but also the benefits of it are more extreme as well. The AI chatbot has sparked a huge interest since it became publicly available in November uh, 30th of last year, even sparking fears it would ultimately replace many people's jobs. One man used it alongside another AI tool to create graphics to write a children's book, Researchers went further and made ChatGPT pass all three parts of the United States medical licensing exam, saying it passed them comfortably. That's kind of terrifying. Yeah. Uh, ChatGPT also passed a Google coding interview for a level three engineer with a 183k salary. <laughs> now we know how rude got here. Hey. <laughs> wow. It's kind of terrifying, but at the same time, really cool and... Like when you're using it for something like a search engine, I know Bing has implemented some of the, the chat GPT stuff or, or something similar. Yeah. You know, getting answers from it. Again, like it said, you have to be kind of vigilant in it lying to you. Hang on. If an AI gives you the wrong thing, is it a lie? Uh, no. I would call it wrong from a search engine. But because this thing has sort of a personality, I want to call it a lie. No, it's not a lie. It's, it is a, uh, an untruth. Okay. When this thing uh, tells me an untruth, yeah, you know, perhaps it won't be great as a search engine, but just getting answers like when will this TV show be next on, it just seems to know this stuff and can answer in like a human language pattern way. The interesting part when we were looking at it back when my son was showing me is that 
you know, the data is two years out, right? So how often do we as humans actually do much to change if what we're typing in now sounds like a legit answer? Like we haven't moved ahead that quickly with as much stuff as we think we have because, you know, it's managing to keep up. And I think it's, I think it's a really neat tool. I think it's got a lot of room for opportunity and it's part of where I think the educational system has need reform for ages. The math classes haven't changed. They're still teaching them the same stuff. They're still trying to learn long math, long division, you know, how to do exponents, all that kind of stuff. Like, it's not like they've said, okay, well, we have calculators now. Let's do a more extreme math. Let's look at practical math. Like, how do you budget? How do you figure out taxes on your food? All that kind of stuff. Like, we haven't made our lives any better by technology. So I'm hoping that people are scared enough with this chat GPT and they actually sort of smarten up to sort of say, how can we be better at what we're doing? Because we have this education available to us and it's now available in a more relatable way as opposed to just, you know, your Google search engine stuff. I love that optimism. Yeah. <laughs> I really like the optimism of, of that happening. The practical things over the next year is going to be like the depressing use of this, which is going to be clickbait, right? It's going to be all those cheap, nasty articles about like ruin outside more pants and someone's Googling it for that. I think those articles are going to like just spring up all over the place, even more so than we've seen. I think it goes back to what we were trying to talk about with that one password where we're trying to educate people on how to be smarter online, how to have a better password, how to experience media, how to be making sure you're critical of links when you're getting them, you're clicking them. In Ontario, we had an education strike. And um, the day that the teacher said, you know, we're going to be on strike tomorrow, that night, I'm getting text messages from random numbers saying, here's the Ontario government's rebate for childcare tomorrow. Click here. Like, people are already fast mm. enough with scams and all of that kind of stuff. We have to just become more of a, an educational-based society where we're teaching people that people are, you know, coming up with all kinds of stuff to steal your money. It's it's easier and easier to try and scam people. And we have to be better at learning how to not click those things. I know we just had Valentine's Day and you see all those romance scams and, you know, the emails where, you know, my dad was an offshore driller in the Ivory Coast and he left me millions of dollars in a European bank fund that I can't get it. Like, I don't know how these emails actually get anyone any money, but like they must work. So how do we teach people that this isn't correct? Like you're not talking to a Nigerian prince via email. Please don't send the money. Like how do we get people to do that? And I'm hoping this sparks that conversation where we can be like, listen, this isn't legit. Figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> so this one, a developer pleads guilty to hacking his own company after pretending to investigate himself. So this one's from The Verge. A former employee of network technology company Ubiquity has pleaded guilty to multiple felony charges recently after posing as an anonymous hacker in an attempt to extort almost two millions worth of cryptocurrency while employed at the company. So Nicholas Sharp, 37, worked as a senior developer for Ubiquity between 2018 and 2021 and took advantage of his authorized access to Ubiquity's network to seal gigabytes worth of files from the company during an orchestrated security breach in December 2020. Prosecutors say that Sharp used the Surfshark VPN service to hide his home IP address and intentionally damaged Ubiquity's computer systems during the attack in an attempt to conceal his unauthorized activity. Sharp later posed as an anonymous hacker who claimed to be behind the incident while working on an internal team that was investigating the security breach. 
this type of insider actor stuff scares me absolutely yeah yeah okay so sharp leaked data stolen from the ubiquity company after the the company refused to pay 50 bitcoins ransom when i say 50 bitcoins out loud it doesn't sound that much it doesn't mean anything anymore I have no idea. That could be five pence. Like, who knows? No, I think they're like (laughs) 10 grand each now. Like, I I think that's a lot of money. Hmm. Yeah. While concealing his identity, Sharp attempted to extort Ubiquity, sending a ransom note to the company demanding 50 Bitcoin. Again, when someone says ransom note and concealing your identity, one, I think hat and glasses and like newspaper cuttings. I'm, I'm guessing that's not how this went down. Yeah. So in exchange for the returning the stolen data and disclosing the security vulnerabilities used to acquire it, when Ubiquity refused the ransom demands, Sharp leaked some of the stolen data to the public. The FBI was prompted to investigate Sharp's home around March 2021 after it discovered that a temporary internet outage has had exposed Sharp's IP address during the security breach. For the majority of this cybersecurity incident, uh, Sharp used a virtual private network service that he has subscribed to from a company named Surfshark to mask his internet protocol, his IP, right? When he addressed Company One's AWS and GitHub infrastructure without authorization, at one point during the exfiltration of the data, Sharp's home IP address became unmasked following the temporary internet outage. So Sharp lied to FBI investigators, denying responsibility for the incident, claiming he hadn't used Surfshark prior to the internal investigation in January 2021. When presented with this evidence that he had, in fact, purchased the the Surfshark VPN service in 2020, Sharp claimed that someone else must have used his PayPal account to make the purchase. PayPal accounts, notably, you know, not that anonymous. Sharp faces up to 35 years in prison after pleading guilty to multiple felony charges. Several days after the FBI investigation, Sharp contacted Brian Krebs of Krebs on Security, masquerading as an anonymous whistleblower and falsely claiming that the hacker had acquired root administrator access to Ubiquiti's accounts. This starts to spiral. He also accused the company's legal team of attempting to cover up the security breach. Ubiquiti lost over $4 billion as a result of the company's stock price falling by approximately 20% in the following days. Following the Krebs on Security publication, after these false reports, Ubiquity then sued Krebs in March of last year, alleging his coverage defamed the company. Krebs and the uh, company agreed to dismiss the lawsuit in September as he removed the original articles from his site. Oh boy, you know, I pay some attention to the cybersecurity industry, but this one passed me straight by that this was kind of ongoing. Boy, inside actors like this, just terrifying. 50 Bitcoin, by the way, 1.1 million US dollars. That's like, that's not that much. (laughs) Okay, Rockefeller. You know, (laughs) it is for some people. Well, uh, you know, look, if I'm putting a price on what I'd do for 35 years in prison... It would be a lot more than a million dollars. I don't think that he thought he was going to prison at this point, though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but by the time he's blackmailing, you know, Krebs on security and all this kind of stuff, like, (sighs) why would you buy a VPN on PayPal and think that you're instantly just anonymous on the complete internet and you can do what you like? That's what I don't get about this. Yeah, this is not bright, really. It's a heck of a spiral. It's a bit of a stupid criminal's entry into today's news, I think. I almost feel like I'm waiting for the... Sharp is now suing Surfshark 
VPN services for the outage <laughs> because it's their fault he got caught. Oh. You know, like it's one of those where it's like, it couldn't possibly be my fault that this happened. I mean, you let me steal your stuff and they just forgot to cover it up for me. There's no sense of, you know, personal liability. None of that. It's wild. Yeah. Oof. All right. This next one. Hackers breach Reddit to steal source code and internal data. So this one's from Bleeping Computer. Reddit recently suffered a cyber attack allowing hackers to access internal business systems and internal documents and source code. The company says that hackers using a phishing lure targeted Reddit employees with a landing page impersonating its intranet site. The site attempted to steal employees' credentials and two-factor authentication tokens. After one employee fell victim to the phishing attack, the threat actor was able to breach internal Reddit systems to steal data and source code. Reddit, in their security incident notice, said after successfully obtaining a single employee's credentials the attacker gained access to some internal documents code as well as some internal dashboards and business systems we show no indications of our breach of our primary production systems the parts of our stack that run reddit and store the majority of our data reddit also said that they learned of the breach after the employee self-reported the incident to the company's security team after investigating the incident, Reddit said that the stolen data includes limited company information for company contacts and current and former employees. The data also included some details about the company's advertisers, but credit card information, passwords, and ad performance was not accessed. Reddit also said that there are no indications that the threat actors were able to breach production systems used to run the website. While Reddit has not shared any details regarding the phishing attack, they referenced a similar attack uh, that was used to breach Riot Games. In that attack, threat actors breached Riot Games and stole the source code for League of Legends. The game company later received and refused a $10 million ransom demand. There you go, that one had bigger eyes than the $1 million. For the data not to be leaked, the hacker later attempted to auction the source code for League of Legends for $10 million on a hacker forum. The interesting thing is comparing and contrasting these two essentially like internal leaks. Like one is an internal attacker and the other one is, you know, using folks internal to the company in order to try and get access to stuff. Both terrifying. I'm not sure which one scares me more. Like the idea that I've hired someone and there's someone on the team who's like actively trying to steal shit, or the fact that someone's going to send me a link and I'm going to click it because I didn't pay enough attention. And I would go in now, you know, again, one password is going to save my ass because it's going to be like, that's not the URL you're still looking for. And like, I'll just, oh, yeah, this isn't good. But like, it's just that easy to like trick people, especially when they're busy. I think that's why those, you know, emails from the CEO asking you to call them if you have a few minutes. It's just like, oh, quick, let me just do that. You don't necessarily think about it sometimes, and especially if it's written well, you know, QGPT. <laughs> yeah, no, you're you're right. I think it's the internal actor doing malicious things that I think I worry about a little bit more from our point of view, only because I feel like we're fairly well trained at this point. There was a situation where I was being asked for my shoe size for Shiner, and I was like, yeah, not not today, not today, fake Shiner. Uh, and then it turned out it was a real request. So uh, there, was, there was that one. I actually had an email about uh, three weeks ago from you, Rue, telling me that your payroll information had changed and could I make sure that your bank account was updated. And I'm like, hmm, this is fun. Again, you know, we're trained for this, but like Yikes. not only that, but I don't do payroll anymore. So good job, Rue. Damn, I tried. 
<laughs> I, just, I just like the fact that like clearly i've made it like if people are impersonating me ah, i've made it i like this this is good it's because you're a podcast host yeah clearly it's it's that it's all the fame and the wealth that comes from being a podcast host <laughs> <laughs> stopping by for a chat today is andrew sikia Executive Director and CMO at Fido Alliance, an alliance of companies focused on creating and driving adoption of open standards for simpler, stronger user authentication. Today we'll be chatting about all things passwordless, plus the changing nature and future of authentication. I'm so excited to have you on the show today, Andrew. How are things? How's your 2023 working out so far? Well, Matt, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to having this conversation with you. So far, so good. We have a, an aggressive roadmap ahead this year, and we're off to off to a busy start already. Ah, that's absolutely always the case, isn't it? Yeah, sure is. Well, sure is. To start off, can you give us a bit of the background on the FIDO Alliance and its core mission? So FIDO Alliance is an open industry body focused on reducing industry reliance on passwords. We're actually in our, our 10th year of operation. And how FIDO works is it's open to any company to participate, and we create use case-driven technologies and guidelines for you know, better user authentication. When FIDO was launched, you know, really the, the problem we were trying to address was a data breach problem. And we, and, we, and we still seek to address that. But the vast majority of data breaches are due to passwords or knowledge-based credentials. And we see this time and time again to, to this day. And so the easiest way to start tackling the data breach problem is to attack the password problem. So what FIDO is doing is creating an open standard for strong user authentication that leverage user-friendly, asymmetric public key cryptography. Now, our firm belief is that you shouldn't have to say, let alone understand what asymmetric public key cryptography means to leverage the benefits. But at a very high level, what we're doing is you know, replacing the concept of a, a secret on a server, which of course can be hacked or, or stolen or, or guessed, replacing that with a, a public key. The public key has no material value to hackers or anyone like that. And the valuable piece, you know, the, the high security piece is the private key, which instead of residing in someone's head, which is the case for knowing a password, resides cryptographically secure on their device. The only way that key can be activated, if you will, to have the dialogue with the corresponding public key is for the user to verify herself to that device. And so typically that's done with a biometric or perhaps a pin or any sort of device unlock uh, that allows that user to then authenticate themselves to a service. That's awesome. And FIDO has been around, like you said, for 10 years. Public key cryptography has been around for a lot longer than that. But like, how has the landscape of passwords and authentication changed during FIDO's time? And in the industry, I guess, as well. Yeah, that's a great point, Matt. And I think, and then this is something near and dear to your background, it comes down to usability. There is a, a dustbin of super effective strong authentication technologies that simply were too difficult to be adopted at scale. And I think where FIDO stands out is its focus on usability, right? So it's single gesture asymmetric public cryptography, which again means all the user has to do is take a single gesture, right? So typically so for a consumer, it's the same action they take to unlock their device dozens of times a day, if not hundreds of times per day. That same action can now allow them to you know, securely authenticate to a website or, or to an application. So I think that's really the differentiation. So no, we did not invent public key cryptography, but the user-friendly aspect of it and the focus on usability is, I think, what differentiates FIDO authentication. Now, the other key thing, which you also hit on, is how the industry has matured. Look, taking on passwords and trying to supplant passwords is an extremely audacious goal. 
And you think about what passwords do, you know, not, not everyone likes passwords, but everyone knows how to use passwords. And, and to take on passwords, you need to look at the advantage that they have. And not just passwords, but also SMS OTP. And these technologies have two key advantages in my perspective. One is ubiquity, right? You can enter a password just about anywhere. Lord knows it's extremely painful to do it like on a smart TV, but you can do it. And likewise, incumbents, right? Everyone who's on the web today grew up using passwords. SMS OTP is a you know, default way of doing you know, legacy two-factor authentication where people are accustomed to getting that passcode on their phone and turning it in, in, into a dialogue screen. So you know, to be successful and, and, and really transform the industry, we need to take on the ubiquity and incumbents that both of these things have. And I think what's really turning the tide here at Fido Alliance is that we're doing exactly that. So Fido Alliance is really the only you know, industry initiative that's looking at, at creating standards for passwordless authentication. And by having the backing of every major platform vendor, by collaborating with W3C, by making this a web standard as well, and then thus getting the buy-in of the web community and every major web browser, you know, FIDO authentication is now built into virtually every device that's being unboxed this very moment. So finally, we now have the endpoints, if you will, addressed. Additionally, by working with W3C, we created the WebAuthn API that allows public open API that any web developer can use to now you know, offer strong user authentication, passwordless authentication, instead of defaulting to legacy means like passwords and OTP. So really, I think that that's been a sea change also, seeing that support, the industry-wide movement behind this, and gaining the ubiquity in support in devices worldwide. I think that's such a, an interesting thing that you put SMS OTP in the same step as passwords now. One technology that was supposed to supplant or at least fix the other, and now they're both in the in the same kind of step. I completely agree with you on both the security and, and how usable those two things are and how that has meant that they are, you know, ingrained. I think the the only route to supplant those two is usability. Like you said, ubiquity. I think we're getting there. Even my uh, my mum now asks, you know, what is a what is a pass key? <laughs> but what has been the impact of pass keys on authentication and, and on this kind of drive for, for ubiquity, I guess? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let me touch on two things real quick, Matt. So, so one, backing up to the SMS OTP thing, I want to just elaborate on that point a little bit. What makes passwords so vulnerable? Again, not just passwords, but any knowledge-based credential, right? Anything that you have to know type in as a human readable, you know, shared secret, type in and, and submit over a network is susceptible to remote attacks. So to a fisher, a remote attacker, an SMS OTP looks no different than a password. It's just shorter lived. And they can get right in the middle of that dialogue and take it over. Right? Likewise, any sort of human readable shared secret sent over a network is, is just as vulnerable. Now, to be clear, SMS OTP is better than a password alone, but in the broader scheme of things, it is not a, it's far from a foolproof mechanism, which is why we're seeing more and more MFA bypass attacks. And another challenge of SMS OTP, which we've been talking about since day one, frankly, is usability. Apple's done a good job integrating this, and Android's done a good, good job integrating OTP codes on your phone, so it kind of automatically populates in web forms, but oftentimes you're waiting for it to come to an email, where you're trying to juggle between the two devices, and that's not a great experience, or you're mobile, or you're, you're not, you don't have a device with you. So, there's all sorts of usability issues with SMS OTP as well, which is why the move to passkeys instead of passwords is so important. So passkey is, is, was definitely a headline activity for FIDO in 2022 and for all of our members in the industry at large. 
passkey is basically a, a safe replacement for passwords. Now uh, that allows you to leverage the device unlock capability to securely sign into apps and services. What's so important about it is that it, it is the first step you know, truly moving us towards a post-password future. Passkey is being supported natively in all the major platforms and operating systems you know, with, with a very strong commitment from Apple, Google, and Microsoft. In fact, Apple, Apple's operating systems and Google's operating systems already have live support. But beyond that, you know, our vision has never been to limit it to those three platforms that you know, it's critical for independent credential providers and password manager providers to be able to manage passkeys as well. And so what this does is it starts changing user behavior from expecting to see a password dialog box and expecting to have to remember a password to allowing them to just have a more seamless, better user experience when signing into applications. Ultimately, my firm belief is that a user shouldn't have to think about how they're signing in. They should just sign in. Authentication shouldn't be a thing in of itself. Someone goes to a website not to enjoy the sign-in experience. They go to a website to, to purchase something or, or to learn or engage. Um, authentication should be a seamless yet strong step in that process. Yeah, one password are going to be there right on the, the forefront of this. We're involved in, in Fido hugely. And if you do enjoy uh, the sign-in experience for the pure joy of sign-in experience, uh, you can go to future.onepassword.com forward slash passkeys where we've got a passkey demo there. It doesn't lead to anything. But if again, if you just enjoy the very nature of just signing in, you can go there. <laughs> well, you know, so it's interesting, Matt. I mean, you're chief experience officer, so you're so focused on user experience, and you've probably forgotten more than I know. But, you know, Fido Alliance has done UX research over the past couple of years. And, and you know, one thing that's become abundantly clear is that seeing passkeys adopted at scale are both a technical issue, but really a usability and user education issue. Right. So I think a lot of your audience, a lot of folks listening to this discussion today are probably on the savvier end of the of the technology spectrum and are comfortable adopting new technologies. But you think about others who are not so much. They need to let go of their passwords. Right. I think about like for example, my parents need to be able to do this scenario. <laughs> That's a very real thing. Right. So I, mean, I love my parents dearly when they're their seventies and they're they're used to passwords. Right. And and as digital transformation has accelerated things, I actually see people like them being disenfranchised. A lot of their support mechanisms that they used to have are now being brought online, whether it's getting a car, getting a taxi, or, or signing in to get support from a technology provider, whatever it is. All these things now require accounts and passwords. Like a phone call doesn't isn't good enough anymore. And so this means that they have the added challenge of having to manage more accounts, but also be able to access them. So ultimately, you know, passwords are actually locking them out of services they need. But at the same time, the move to pass keys can seem challenging. Um, so I think there's a, a massive user education challenge that we as an industry have in our hands to get people comfortable with this sign-in process. Now, the good news is a few things. One, you know, the companies commercializing this are user experience experts, right? So the first company to support Passkey at scale is Apple. You think of Apple and excellent UFs are pretty much synonymous in, in most people's books, right? So having Apple actually bring this to market, focusing primarily on UX, Right with initial release of Passkey, I think is absolutely critical, and will start getting consumers comfortable with the concept. Secondly, the term Passkey itself, right, is, is a new thing. All right, so Fido has been supported in web sign-ins for for years now. Right, you go to eBay and other sites that support web off and they allow you to enroll each device for a, a passwordless sign-in. But they've had different terminology for this. Some call it WebAuthn, which means nothing to consumers. Some call it user biometrics, which is not always a biometric. It might be a, a, a PIN code. 
And so by actually gravitating towards the term passkey itself and having an industry term, industry logo for this, we'll start seeing positive user reinforcement happening as they use passkeys to sign into more and more sites, become comfortable with the terminology and the user experience. And the last thing I want to point to is the role of password managers or credential managers and how important that has been in educating users on the experience they should expect when signing into websites and applications. You know, oftentimes when I'm asked about how passkeys work, I, I describe it as a, a, a perfect password manager, but without a password. So if I'm using one password, I know that I can just sign in, you know, I, I have a, I can use a biometric, whatever it is, but I can sign into all my sites or services anywhere without having to enroll each new service for one password. So it's that password manager-like experience with, you know, secure, seamless access to sites and services, but you know, simply using, you know, a, a, a biometric more likely rather than, you know, than, than having to recall a password. So that user experience that has been ingrained in password manager consumers and users, I think is really important in helping educate and accelerate adoption of passkeys moving forward. Yeah, I think it's going to be a smoother transition for our users because of that element of like passwordless, right? Like it's taking something away. The fear of that is like, well, I don't have control over it anymore. I don't have access. Whereas like if you use it with a password manager, well, in inside one password, the field is almost the same, right? Like we almost, yeah. you have an item that is the passkey rather than an item that is the password. So I think that transition is going to be a lot more seamless for one password users, which is good. But I wanted to hit on something that you said, and I, I think is honestly like Fido's superpower. You mentioned the icon being the same and the name being the same and, and kind of that that being a powerful thing that passkeys and it gives some, some people something to gravitate towards. I think the biggest thing that Fido is really doing to, to overcome it, the centralization of those user journeys and the familiarity that people will get in switching from one service and feeling confident about that to switching from another service. And then if it's exactly the same route, the familiarity thing is is huge. You can just like, oh, I remember doing this. Whereas in the past, attempts from others to supplant the password, random efforts like that, they haven't had that kind of centralization of understanding, you know, magic links are quite awful, in my opinion. They all do it in a slightly different way. That's the thing that gets me really excited about about Fido in general is like the centralization of like familiarity of moving people through that flow, I think is huge. Yeah, no, I agree. And and it's just super interesting. Pretty much every conversation I have about deploying Fido, you know, begins and ends with usability. That used to not be the case. Right. The early adopters of Fido were you know, really came from a security posture. It's a brings bottom line benefit, you know, lowering fraud. You know, lowering hacks, lowering attacks, things like that, which makes a lot of sense. But as this has become more and more mainstream, you know, more conversations are happening with people like yourself, or user experience leads, or product leads, design leads, who are wondering about, well, exactly how is this going to impact my users? And what's actually really exciting to me is that the conversation has also shifted beyond just like, well, how does this work? But actually looking at the benefits of the usability benefits that Fido and Paskey is bringing. So... Jumping back to general authentication and, and general passwordless, do you have any predictions of where it might go next? Where will passwordless and kind of authentication in general go in the next, you know, few years? I'm very excited about Passkey and everyone is. And but I think it's also important to have a realistic, you know, perspective on how this is gonna, you know, take root. Uh, so it's not gonna happen overnight. Right? We just talked about user education. 
And, you know, major service providers who have hundreds of millions of customers have that same concern. So they'll be, some are going to be more cautious than others in deploying Passkey. So we saw PayPal boldly announce their support for Passkey, which they now support, right? So they're starting in the US and rolling it out incrementally. But if you are on iOS or Android and you go to paypal.com or you're doing a checkout, one checkout, odds are you'll be able to use a Passkey instead of a password. So that was a great example of a company kind of leading the way and deploying Passkey. Uh, so I think we'll see more and more brands you know, start to deploy Passkey incrementally and then eventually at scale. But coming back to your point before, the UX work is so important. So like, for example, right now with Passkey, you don't even need to, you could have a usernameless sign-in flow where someone just gets a prompt for a Passkey. That's going to be jarring to a lot of consumers. All right, so just because we can do something, and my best practice may be to roll that out incrementally over time and depending on your customer base. So I think you know between the technology adoption, user education piece, you know, we're looking at a, a, a multi-year rollout to become to the part just becomes you know, super mainstream and part of the ways that, that we all sign in on a daily basis. But with these capabilities, I think you start thinking about some interesting applications for Passkey and provider authentication. One area I've been actually seeing a lot of chatter on lately is around automotive, you know, in-vehicle authentication. So you start thinking about voice biometrics or finger, fingerprint biometrics and, and those modalities for securely signing into automotive services in your car or maybe managing your car on your mobile app. I think there's a big role for FIDO to play, and we've seen several companies actually you know, bring FIDO into the automotive space already in, in 2022 and 2023. That's wild. I still have a CD player in my car. Uh, <laughs> it does not do anything like that. I think one of the interesting things for me is how the UX of pass keys changes over yeah. time with societal change. Because there are certain things you're right that we can do with pass keys. Like we don't really need a login page, right? Like you can land on the website and log someone in just immediately. Yeah. But like that is quite jarring. As people get more familiar with things like that, it's going to be fascinating to kind of like test some of these UX changes and see the right change for society. I think there will be a moment where we are predicting where things go. And then I think there will be a moment where we are catching up with the rest of society and, and kind of, you know, trying to push the, the user experience of things along with all of the websites and, and that type of stuff, which is kind of a fascinating future. That's extremely well said. In fact, I'm probably going to rip that off, Matt. And, and, and you can say that. <laughs> no, that's exactly it. I, I couldn't say it better than, than that. I think, you know, not to belabor this, but that's why the work that we're doing around user experience and, and the, um, the, the focus that Fido Alliance is doing is so important. And actually, let me let, let me belabor this a little bit. For those who don't know, you know, how standards bodies were, uh, they're not terribly exciting. They basically get a bunch of really smart people in a room and, and they debate where semicolons go and specifications and, and fight and swaddle until we decide how a specification looks. And then those are finalized, and then you build products against them, and, and they're certified. It's absolutely critical, but that's how standards work. What FIDO is doing above that, which is unique to any standards body or any industry initiative, is taking on this user experience work. So we've assembled a, a group of experts, including you, Matt, who are design and UX leads who are actually giving guidance on the best ways to deploy FIDO. And so some of this are in, in papers that will issue, or, or you know, we have a UX system, which Matt, maybe you want to talk about a little bit. But additionally, we actually are, are using this group to guide research. The, the research will result in data-driven guidance on how to deploy Passkey. So we've done this already for what we call platform authenticators, which is basically WebAuthn. We've done it for security keys. But the anticipation 
for these past key UX guidelines is, is beyond anything I've seen. Um, because we're going to actually, you know, be able to test this at scale, test different scenarios and, and, and give best practices on, on how to, to deploy passkey. It's this group. I think that makes one thing that makes Fido Alliance so unique is, is assembling, you know, these really bright minds and design and such to, to help establish design and UX best practices that are then poured into our guidelines and all of our outputs now at Fido Alliance. The wild thing for me is understanding how long it took to perfect two input boxes, a username and a password, <laughs> and still yeah. there are websites where I'm like, why am I typing in my email address and then clicking next? And then it's taking me to a password box and then I'm clicking next. And then I'm, yes. you know, and then it takes me to another random thing. Like people still get this wrong. So I think yes. for a really new technology like passkeys, having this information up front, I really hope it, it attains a little bit of the wild west of the web. <laughs> yeah, and it's, but you bring up a good point. And I think that's always a good reality check too, is that you know the, the forward leaning companies will be the earlier to adopt this. And there's always going to be laggards who are like have like this horrible password UX. They're probably not going to be like on the cutting edge of passkey deployment anytime soon. I mean, my belief is that one reason why websites are not doing better strong authentication is because it's never been readily accessible to them. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm a web designer, I'm, I'm designing for, you know, design. I'm looking at function. I'm looking at whatever the, the core purpose is of, of that site is what I'm focused on. I'm not focused on authentication. And so passwords have always been there. You know, if I want to get more aggressive, OTP has always been there. So I think that's why WebAuthn, the Web Authentication API, which is what you use to, you know, figure passkey, if you will, is so important. And seeing WebAuthn built into platforms, you know, into web building platforms, into API tools, API first tools. You know, these are the things where developers actually start accessing and, and, and building flows. And now, you know, WebAuthn and FIDA could be contemplated as part of those flows from the get go. I think that will also help sediment the market to see, you know, more rapid adoption of Basky, even for, you know, sites that traditionally have been laggard type of entities. I think if our internal beta of passkeys inside one password is anything to represent the industry people are going to collect these things like pokemon we were running around to all sorts of sites seeing if we could add an extra passkey into one password so i'm really excited about that as well just to finally say where can people go to find out more information about you or the fido alliance yeah fidoalliance.org that's our website we have all the information about you know fido alliance as a body we actually have a separate set of websites, which we will be updating to reflect Baski. But for now, there's loginwithfido.com. This gives kind of a jargon-free explanation of how Fido works, both for you know from a consumer point of view and from a service provider point of view. Those are good websites as well. I mean, personally, I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter, Andrew Shikiar. So that's how you could find me on any site or service. Perfect. Andrew, thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure. I could talk for hours about this. <laughs> Matt, thanks for having me. And thanks to One Password for all of your support for Fido Alliance. It's been great having you in the organization and, and appreciate all of your team's efforts. Okay, we've got one question that came to us from the Ask One Password hashtag. So that's uh, Ask One Password. I believe we look on both Mastodon and the bird site now for this hashtag. So when you have a question you want to ask us, you can just use that hashtag and we might find it through the internet. You can also email us at podcast at onepassword.com. So Chris emailed us to say, hey there, love your podcast. I've been using OnePassword. I've been a user since the beginning 
the beginning. Whew. Was doom scrolling through Instagram today after listening to your 100th episode and came across this funny but sad Amazon ad, and I thought I'd share it with you guys. This is for a Clever Fox password book with tabs. Internet access and password organizer logbook with alphabetical tabs. Small pocket size password keeper in rose gold. I'm going to say something perhaps controversial here. I think there's a place for these. At some point, uh, and it is people who are old. <laughs> so I actually agree with you. With with a caveat, right? Oh, huge ones everywhere. As long as you are engaging in good password hygiene where you're not using the same password on every site, you probably have a small number of them. And it's just like, yeah, I just want to have a record of this stuff somewhere because I'm elderly or, or otherwise not as tech fluent as some might imagine. And now when I pass away, like people can just pick up the book and be like, oh, good. This is how we get into her bank. I've had my, my parents write down a few of these. And what I basically did was use the phrase generator to generate some like pronounceable passwords. I didn't actually buy a specific password book because I think that's ridiculous. This is just a notebook. <laughs> it comes with no added things. So yeah, I just wrote them in the back of their notebook as well, as well as having them in one password. Useful for me, even if it wasn't useful for them. And they're, you know, 75 plus. So like, I think it's totally okay that they're not going to pick up a new piece of software. It's a tricky thing. And it's, uh, you know, and then some seniors, like, they just get it. You know, I'm a senior. I understand how technology works now. But like my mom, she's like immediately like, oh, I just put it in one password. I'm going to share it with you. So you've got it later on. It's wonderful. But then there's folks where it's just, it's a struggle. And so I can see a role for these books. I just don't understand where Amazon is sponsoring this advertising and i just don't see the target market for this because like you said matt it's just a notebook like is it because it's rose gold and it might ma match your iphone is that what the gear is here like i just i don't know the marketing plan for this <laughs> <laughs> there's so many nuances in the in the security of these things like you know making sure that you do have a, a random password for every site and then of course like you're not going to get the benefits of understanding when a data breach happens or anything like this. And like, it's also terrible to then take this password book anywhere because you lose this one book and there's access to everything. So I will say like, there's a really narrow use case for these. And most of the time, just use a password manager. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Right. Let's jump into some rapid fire security questions. This is the game. Uh, Sarah, if you haven't been listening to the series, this is the game where we rapidly fire security questions at each other to achieve some random but memorable wrong answers. Now, Rue got this incorrect the first time round and tried to answer them correctly, <laughs> thinking that it was some sort of normal quiz and not related in any way to the avoidance of giving out PII on the uh, on the podcast. Yeah. Whoops. So we have 60 seconds on the clock. I'm terrified because I've heard this game show and I try to play along all the time in the car and... I got this one so wrong and it was so hard. My brain was just like, no, it was very much like one of those eye tests where, you know, the words are there, red, blue, green, but they're in different colored fonts and you're supposed <laughs> to read the word, not the color. And my brain is like, no, stop. You cannot can proceed. This is not going to happen. So this could be a long 60 seconds. Okay. So you've just got to remember, it's just going to be a wrong answer. Anything wrong is okay. Okay. All right, Rue, here we go. What's the name of your first stuffed animal? Oh, uh, Spiny. <laughs> What's your death row dinner? Uh, it's it's uh, um, nuts and bolts. Who will win the 2024 US presidential election? Uh, Kim Jong-un. <laughs> 
What's your superpower? Uh, very, very heavy. <laughs> That's a really good one. What's your least favorite nickname? <laughs> Twinkle Toes. Okay, I'm now thinking that's your favorite one. Uh, what's your first concert you ever attended? Oh, uh, Tom Brady sings the blues. Uh, what's your signature party trick? I can uh, snort a Cheeto uh, and have it come out my ear. I'm going to need proof for that one. Uh, what is your work address? My work address is 123 Nunya Business Boulevard. <laughs> that's very good. I'm not sure whether I'm docking a point for the Cheeto thing, because I'm pretty sure you could do it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Sarah, are you ready? No, but I'm willing to try. Okay. What's the name of the next big summer blockbuster for 2023? Batman? I'm pretty sure there's a Batman movie coming out this year. There's a Batman movie coming out every year. Well, I'll move on. What's your oldest cousin's first name and last name? Bethany Thomas. <laughs> Name a Harry Potter spell. Frick rack diddly whack. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Who was your childhood hero? Colonel Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> Where did you spend your honeymoon? CN Tower. What's your favorite sport? Ping pong. What's your drink of choice? A martini. And who was Great Britain's longest reigning monarch? I was going to say Prince, the singer. (laughs) That's pretty good. Nice. All right, that was good fun. That was terrifying. It's hard, right? It's so hard. All right, with that, love you both. Love you both. Love you both. Happy to be here. Thank you. Happy you're here. Bye-bye.